again, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, our weekly get-together on Monday evenings when we sit back and talk about the Cincinnati Reds. And believe me, I know the pain that the Milwaukee Brewers are undertaking because the Reds and their big come-from-behind win yesterday over Milwaukee and the Indians blowing a three-run lead, a two-run lead, actually, I should say, in the top of the ninth. We're going to get into all that, but let's bring... To the microphones, our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, you've got to be happy after yesterday. Well, it's a mixed bag, Dave. I, I, I understand your pain because certainly the Reds have experienced that this year so far themselves as well. Uh, but the Reds, of course, had bad news as it relates to Jay Bruce, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But uh, all in all, the Reds are hanging in there. Uh, they are now, I think, officially tied for second place or near second place with the Cardinals who've had their own problems. They did win last night. But, uh, you know, the Reds are hanging around, and that is to their credit, given the fact they are 10th in the league in hitting uh, in runs scored. And if it wasn't for some great pitching, uh, they would be in last place. But they've had outstanding pitching, and that's right now keeping them above water. Well, of course, we're going to have our Ask Us segment coming up in just a little bit. You can join us on tonight's show just simply by sending us an email to ask us or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com, or you can send us a tweet. The uh, website Twitter address is at alt sports talk, U-L-T sports talk, and my Twitter address is at OHBB co-host. Well, Mark, before we get into Jay Bruce, was this a season-saving series against Milwaukee over the weekend? It all depends on to what degree you are talking about the win losses in this series. If they, if they would have, if had Milwaukee swept Cincinnati in Cincinnati, yes, I think the season's pretty much over. The Reds would have been eleven and a half games behind, but the psychological impact of losing four games to Milwaukee would have been uh, devastating. Uh, of course, if they had won one game and lost three, or even split, I don't think it would have been an a season-ending series necessary, necessarily, but the Reds came back and won that all-important game four yesterday. They took the series three to one. They made a statement. They also climbed within five and a half games in Milwaukee, and they've got, I think, 15 games left with Milwaukee. So uh, it, it is still early, but you bring up a good point. It could have been the disaster we feared where the Reds are 10, 11, 12 games out in the first week in May. That could have happened. But luckily, it did not. Okay, two key points in the ball game yesterday. First of all, in the sixth inning, the Reds are down three to two. Bases loaded, one out. Jay Bruce comes to plate and strikes out. His knee. Let's get into Jay Bruce right now. It looked like he was laboring in the batter's box and just using his arms to swing the bat. Is I understand he's going to undergo knee surgery. Is that correct? That's correct. It's a, tor a partially torn meniscus. Uh, unfortunately, I've had that ailment. Uh, I did not need surgery, <clears throat> but I can tell you it does impact your ability uh, to swing. And uh, with a power header like that, a lot of it is in your legs. A lot of your power is in your legs. And if you don't have your legs under you, uh, that causes a problem. What I don't know, and I'm not sure anybody knows, is how has this impacted him so far this year? He's hitting 210. And he has not looked good at the plate. 
Those pitches yesterday, I think if you saw the game, Dave, he missed those breaking balls by six to eight inches. He wasn't he wasn't close. And he's not been able to pull the trigger on the inside breaking ball. He struck out four times on Friday night and looked like he was overmatched, just completely overmatched by a pitcher that should not overmatch you. So uh, if this thing has been a lingering problem for him throughout the year, that might explain his dismal numbers, and they are dismal. He only has three home runs, and uh, the Reds need his bat. But something is wrong with Jay Bruce, and uh, he has looked really pathetic at the plate so far this year. So maybe this is the reason, and if there is a silver lining to this, it could be that Walt Jockety is finally going to be forced to go out and bring in a bat because you don't know if he's out for three or four weeks, He's going to have another week of rehab, uh, maybe a couple of weeks to get back in the lineup. So this could be six weeks drawn out, and this team cannot survive without somebody hitting behind uh, Joey Votto. Does anybody know how or when Bruce hurt his knee? No, and I think that's the key question as to ascertaining his performance this year. Uh, if this is something that has been lingering since spring training, it might explain a lot. Uh, but I did not notice a diminution in his coverage of right field. He, he's an outstanding right fielder. I didn't see anything there that would indicate he's not been able to, to track down the balls that he, he needs to. But again, power hitting, a lot of it is in your legs. And, uh, you know, only Jay can tell us when he hurt his knee. Uh, but the, the bigger issue is what do you do now if you're the Reds? Do you rely on Chris Heisey? Uh, who has failed every time he's been given a chance like this, or do you go out and get somebody else? And I hope it's the latter rather than the former. Well, let me ask you this. This injury is reminiscent of what the Reds went up against two years ago with Joey Votto. Is it the same injury, and can we expect Jay Bruce to have the same kind of power shortage that Joey Votto did after his knee surgery? No, it's not the same injury. Joey Votto had a much, much more severe injury to his knee. And if you recall, he injured it again when he tried to come back. He was doing sliding practice and hurt the knee again. So he was out for a long time. And, you know, it's it's interesting, Dave. Uh, we talk about that injury. I think it was in 2012 that injury occurred. He has never regained the power he had prior to that. Now, I don't know if it's knee-related or he's simply not been able to develop his legs as to the strength they had before the injury. I don't know. But, number one, it's not as severe as the injury that Bado had yet. Uh, you know, it is a knee injury, and power hitters get their power from their legs. So the Reds, I think, are going to be – uh, Jay Bruce has averaged 32 home runs and, hundred I think, 103 RBIs over the last three years. He's not going to come close to those numbers this year. So who are you going to have step up and 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 be that power force in the lineup? Because if they don't, if they have Skip Schumacher in there, uh, this is a guy who might hit eight home runs a year or nine home runs. Uh, he's not Jay Bruce. And you and I have been talking for two years about both the Indians and the Reds needing another bat. And now you've lost a bat. So now you need two. <laughs> and I don't know where you're going to find them. I don't know where you're going to find it either unless you go out and get Kendry Morales, but you and I have discussed that situation ad nauseum. But not only did the Reds blow an opportunity in the sixth inning yesterday, Mark, 
They blew one in the seventh inning also with runners at second and third and less than two outs. And then they came to the ninth inning. Joey Votto had already struck out, and Brandon Phillips came to the plate. That ball is driven into deep center field. Gomez will not get this one. And that one is ripped down the line. Heisey on his way to third. Picked up by Davis. They're going to wave it around. Here comes the throw, Redwin. Of course, that game-winning hit, Mark, that courtesy of the Reds website, CincinnatiReds.com. But that game-winning hit by Todd Frazier on the double down the left field line. You know what? Frazier and Cozart, when you look at the last seven games, they're hitting the baseball. 364 each of them, eight hits each. The only difference is Frazier's got eight RBIs and Cozart has none. <laughs> and I don't expect that to, to end soon. Uh, Todd Frazier is an enigma to the extent you wonder why any pitcher in their right mind throws him a strike because he will swing at pitches that are a foot outside, and I'm not exaggerating. He, uh, he chases breaking balls, and, and even when he hit that quote-unquote line drive with the bases loaded and, and Brandon Phillips was doubled off second, that was a horrific swing to take. He lunged at an outside breaking ball, first pitch swinging, bases loaded, against a guy who has not been throwing strikes, and you wonder what goes through his head when he does stuff like that. Now, when they, in the ninth inning, the, the pitcher mistakenly threw him a strike on the inside half, and he ripped it down the left field line, and he's fine with those pitches. But, you know, he is a guy that any above-average pitcher is going to get out the vast, vast majority of the time. Uh, I, I would bet against a quality pitcher, and I, I don't know how to define that necessarily, except I, I know it when I see it, he must be hitting 150 against those kinds of pitchers. Now, he will he will hit mistakes, and certainly that pitch in the ninth inning or tenth inning yesterday was a mistake on the inner half right down the, the pipe, and that's a pitch he can handle. But this goes back to the bigger issue of the Reds' offense, which uh, is slowly sinking in the National League to be one of the worst offenses that there is. And if, if the Reds' front office doesn't do something now, Dave, then they're not going to do it because uh, the only thing holding them back now is what would they have to give up to get a legitimate number four or number five hitter in that lineup. And I keep coming back to the idea it's going to be Homer Bailey. Mark, what befuddles me is the fact that yesterday's ball game, Chris Heisey, who is a so-called part-time player, was the cleanup hitter in the lineup. How does that happen? Well, I think you just hit on the issue we've been talking about. When you have a guy like Chris Heisey, who's, I think, a, a lifetime hitter of 247, uh, he, he's never had more than 18 home runs. And he only did that one time. He doesn't drive in a lot of runs. Uh, I think he'd be great at seven or maybe number two. He's even let off for the Reds, but he's not a number four hitter. So you've got to re configure that lineup dramatically, and now you have to consider moving Joy Votto back to the third spot because who are you going to have hitting behind him? You, you take Jay Bruce out of that lineup, and even though his average was down, he, he at least scared people in that they, they had to give him some thought. And and now <laughs> Joy Votto 
if he doesn't lead the league in walks this year, I, he never will. And people will never pitch to him now. There's nobody hitting third, fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh in that lineup is going to scare any pitcher. Well, not even Brandon Brandon Phillips, although in the last seven games he's hitting well. Also, Mark, he seems to be coming out of his funk. He's hitting three sixty-eight. Yeah, and I think that's that may be your answer to hitting fourth. I think it may be Brandon Phillips again. And, you know, he had over 100 RBIs last year hitting fourth, and that may be what they have to do. But, uh, again, this lineup right now, it's easily, easily pitched to. There's so many strikeouts. And if I were a pitcher of any ability, I would look forward to facing the Reds lineup. Well, the Reds are 15 and 16. They finished 11 and 16 in April, Mark. They are in third place, as you said, going into tonight's action, in which they're off. They're five and a half games behind Milwaukee, who's 21 and 11. But as we said, Mark, taking three out of four against Milwaukee, it may have been a season-saving series, and try saying that quick three times against Milwaukee. And I think what the Reds did was they showed the rest of the National League something that Milwaukee, a weakness that Milwaukee has. And that is if you can get to that middle part of their bullpen, not so much K-Rod at the end, but the, between the starter and the closer, that's where they're weak. Yeah, but don't forget, too, you're right about that, that, that weakness on their pitching staff. They've got good, solid starting pitching. Nothing, nobody's going to overpower you there. But they have good, solid pitching. You know, they have guys that are going to maintain a 3.0 or a 3.25 ERA for the rest of the year, and that's that's really good. They don't have a, like a shutdown guy like Matt Latos maybe for the Reds or Johnny Cueto for the Reds. But don't forget that Ryan Braun did not play any of those games, and he changes that lineup. And when he's in there, that's a much tougher ball club than it is right now. So I think they're going to feel the effect of not having Ryan Braun, who went on the DL yesterday, and he's gonna, not going to be around for two, at least two or three weeks, maybe longer, <coughs> and that's going to hurt them. So this is a, a chance for the Reds to get back in the, the race, and you're right. I think that you know winning three out of four yesterday was very important to this team, but uh, I, would not, I would not roll over and, and assume that Milwaukee is not going to be around at the end. I, I had them finishing second this year in the Central, and the Cardinals finishing first and Pirates third. But right now, the surprise of the Central Division is not Milwaukee, in my opinion. It's it's Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh has just not uh, played up to expectations. And, you know, they're they're closer, much closer to last place than they are first. Absolutely. The Indians are off tonight. They're starting a four-game set uh, against – I'm sorry, the Indians are playing tonight. They, have, they start a four-game set against the Twins – at Progressive Field this evening. They play Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday afternoon. You know, Mark, this schedule is so goofy that Major League Baseball has put forward. I've got a clip from Peter Gammons coming up in just our second half hour talking about that he thinks that Major League Baseball just put the schedule into a lottery and pulled it out because it's goofy the way the schedule has ended up this year. But anyway, going into tonight's action... The Indians are 13 and 18. They finished 11 and 17 in April, just a game behind the Reds if you want to look at it that way. But they're in fifth place in the Central Division, three games behind Detroit. But John Axford yesterday, Mark, 
I've been extremely happy with what Axford has done as far as being the closer of the Indians. But I think if you're Terry Francona, don't let him pitch against the White Sox <laughs> because he has come in to close three games and blown two of them in dramatic fashion. The first one in Chicago on a walk-off home run, and then yesterday to Dion Vasiedo, a three-run homer in the top of the ninth in which the Indians blew a beautifully pitched game by Corey Kluber. We're going to get into that in a second. But, Mark, I think I would just say, John, take the rest of the day off when we face Chicago. We're going to go with somebody else. You know, Axford to me is an enigma because if you remember two years ago, I think he led the world in, in saves uh, after he blew the first save or first game of the year against the Reds in opening day. And then he, you know, he still throws 94-95. When he signed with the Cardinals last year, I thought they were going to keep him. And I, I don't understand why he's not more productive. If, if, if he's not, uh, it's just a brain cramp when he throws those kinds of pitches. Uh, I don't know. You, you see him more than I do. But to me, his stuff is there. He's got a great arm. But he has these tendencies to blow. And it seems like he's the bigger lead he has, the more difficult it is for him to hold it. I, I don't know if it's a psychological thing, but I've seen him get lit up when he's got a two, three, four run lead as opposed to a one run lead where he seems to come in and bear down more. I don't know. Well, and this year he's been outstanding. Like I said, he's he's only blown uh, two que two clo uh, two closing opportunities, but both of them have been against the White Sox. Here's a key question for you, Mark. Do you know who George Cateras is? I well, I know he's yeah yeah I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, ninety nine point nine percent of the Indian fans yesterday going through the turnstiles had no idea who George Cateras was until he stepped into the batter's box for the Indians in the third inning of the ball game. <laughs> well, he's been around a while. And it is gone! George Cateras, in his first at bat as a Cleveland Indian, sends one out of here to tie the game at one. He tries another one! Deep right field again! Viciedo's out of room! It's out of here! <laughs> George Cateras with his second home run of the ball game. He became first Cleveland Indian, Mark, ever in his first two at-bats to hit a home run in his first two at-bats as a member of the Indians. Well, by the way, Dave, just an internal technical issue. I cannot hear what you're playing. So okay. I, I know that Cateras hit two home runs, but yeah, he's been around for a while, Cateras has, and I don't know. I don't have his uh, career stats, but uh, that's got to be as surprising to him as it is to Indians fans because, because he's not the kind of hitter or player that people would normally remember. He was hitting 080080. Yes, that's right. 080 at Columbus in nine games before the Indians brought him up when Jan Gomes went on the paternity list. Well, then the Indians are brilliant. <laughs> because they saw something that nobody else would see, and the guy comes in and hits two dingers in his first two at bats. So you have to give some credit to the front office for making a brilliant uh, personnel move and uh, and fooling everybody. 
Well, hopefully that's going to continue. I expect Kataris to go down as soon as Gomes gets off the uh, paternity list, which I believe is after tonight's game. But Corey Kluber, Mark, he set a tribe mark yesterday. He struck out seven White Sox in a row and ended up with 13 strikeouts in eight innings in the ballgame. And I've got to say, after his first two starts, his last four starts, Mark, that he has had, he has been showing Cy Young Award capabilities. And I'm not kidding. I am not over-exaggerating on this. This guy has been lights out in every game he has pitched in the last four ball games, He's got Cy Young stuff. That would be, tell you what, if he has fallen out of the Indians' farm system and into their laps as a Cy Young Award winner, they've got something here. Well, you team him up with Masterson, uh, and just those two alone give you, not including some other guys who are, are really performing well for your pitching staff, uh, it, it is a good place to start with the Indians. And uh, I saw him, I saw the highlights of that game, I guess this morning, and he did look overpowering. I mean, he, some of the some of the swings the hitters were getting off him were <laughs> defensive at best. And uh, great breaking ball. Uh, it looked like he was in the mid-90s on his fastball. And uh, those hitters were overmatched. Now, the White Sox aren't, you know, the 2070 Yankees, but uh, he, you're right. I mean, he, he looked overpowering and uh, – the last I saw, Masterson had a good game the day, uh, the game before or two games before. So how do you view the, the other three guys in that rotation, and do you think that they need to make any changes in their pitching staff, or should they focus like the Reds on adding a bat or two? Well, they've already made uh, one change. They've moved Carlos Carrasco to the bullpen. He's out of the rotation. Done. They will be bringing up Josh Tomlin tomorrow to start the game against Minnesota. Now, I fully expect Tomlin will stick. He will stay. Who they send down, that's another story. It'll probably be Kateris would be my guess, and they'll keep the eight guys in the bullpen. But then what do you do with Danny Salazar, whom had a 5 nothing lead given to him Friday night against the White Sox, and immediately, in the, that was after the first inning, and immediately in the second inning, Mark, he gave up three runs and brought the White Sox right back into it. Now, luckily, the Indians had their hitting shoes on that night, and they ended up winning the ballgame 12-5. to But Salazar, I think, is on his last leg. He may get one, maybe two starts. And then they've got to bring up Trevor Bauer. Bauer's 3-0 and down in Columbus. He's got a 1.10 ERA in his five starts with the Clippers. He's only given up four earned runs. He struck out 31 and walked nine this year. They've got to bring Bauer up sooner or later, and, and I think then they'll settle on the rotation of Masterson, Kluber, McAllister, Bauer, and Tomlin, and I like that rotation. I do. Then they need to go out and concentrate on getting another bat. It's interesting that uh, the Reds have an issue coming up, I think, uh, where they're going to have six starters because you have to include uh, Alfredo Simon in their starting. He pitched another quality start yesterday, gave up only three runs, and he has a 1.99 ERA. He's 4-1. and one. Uh, He's just pitched fantastic ball all year, 
and they're going to get Tony Singrani back in a week. Uh, they're going to get Matt Latos back in two weeks. Then you've got Leak, you've got Bailey, you've got uh, Cueto. You've got six legitimate starters, not including what they have in the minors that could come up and pitch. Uh, Robert, um, I want to say Sullivan. Uh, you know what I mean. I can't think of his name. Stevenson. Now. Stevenson. Uh, he's ready to go. And you have another starter down there uh, in, in double-A ball uh, who is pitching extremely well, too. So uh, the Reds have some, uh, I guess, some chips to deal with. Uh, and I think in Alfredo Simon, with what he has done so far this year, all, all of a sudden is a pretty valuable trading chip. But when you look around the league, if the Reds and the Indians are both looking for the same thing, they are, because the, the Indians could sign Morales and get a lot of value out of him. The Reds can't do that because they can't DH him. But I think it's going to be easier for the Indians to find a hitter than it is for Cincinnati. And But the, the problem is the Reds, I think, have more to deal than the Indians. You know, who would the Indians give up to get a legitimate number three, four, or five hitter in that lineup? They don't have enough on the farm system to do that if they're not going to give up Lindor or Tyler Naquin. Yeah, I agree, and that's. I think they're, that's going to be problematic for them to find somebody. The Reds have, I think, people to deal. Uh, the question is, who's out there? It's not likely that anybody's going to step up and, and trade a, a, a producing offensive player right now uh, this early in the year, even if they need pitching. So I think both teams are going to be faced between now and July 31st. What the reality is, even if they wanted to add a bat, for different reasons, it's going to be very, very difficult to do so. Well, I heard Mark Shapiro, the president of the club, talking on an interview a few days ago. It was either Thursday or Friday. And he was posed the question about Kendry Morales. And if the Indians would be interested in him, he said no. They are happy with their ball club the way that it is built, and they are going to go forward at least through the month of July with the ball club the way it's constituted right now, which I think is short-sighted, Mark. But then again, it's what you've come to expect out of Mark Shapiro. Let me, let me throw this out at you, Mark. This is the Indians after the first month of the season, through April. They were 13th in the American League in hitting at 236. That's their combined batting average as a team. They were 7th in the American League in ERA at 4.08 and last in fielding in the American League with 30 errors. That makes that reminds me of the movie Animal House and Dean Faber saying to Flounder, "Deaf, dumb and stupid is no way to go through life, young man." <laughs> you know, anytime that we can get an Animal House quote <laughs> on our show is a good day. Uh, it's a good day. It, it's my favorite. It's my favorite movie of all time. But you're right. And the, the problem is, as much as we want to have our respective general managers go out and do something, I think it falls back to what I said a few minutes ago. Uh, who do you get? And it's not so much that the Reds don't want to make a deal, or the Indians don't want to make a deal. Who do you make a deal with? If you look at the rosters around Major League Baseball right now, if both teams need a 3, 4, or 5 hitter, and let me quantify that. You want a guy that's at least capable of hitting 275 over a year, 
He's capable of 15 to 25 home runs and driving in 75 to 80 runs a year. I'm not talking about a superstar, but even with those expectations, where do you go? Who has that player out there today that a, a GM would, would be willing to give up to get a Homer Bailey, a Tony Singrani, an Alfredo Simon, and, and put and put one of those guys into your rotation, given the fact Homer Bailey has a hundred million dollar contract, uh, Simon has only had you know two months of good production as a starter, and Singrani uh, is, is still a question mark in terms of his long term ability. So, how do you solve this frustrating issue that both teams have of finding that kind of hitter? Mark and I think I'm going to throw this out at you. I think both teams have that kind of guy on their team right now. They just don't have the confidence to put them there yet. I think with the Reds, it's Mesoraco, and I think with the Indians, it's Chisholm. Well, Mesoraco, of course, is on the DL, as you as you know. Right. And, and, and he's certainly not a 468 hitter for the rest of the year. But I was thinking in terms of if you're, if you're going to make changes – and if the Reds were to, to really seriously decide they're going to improve the team internally, you would have to do it by making one move to start, and that's moving Joey Votto to left field and getting getting his bat in left field. It's easier to find a first baseman than it is a corner outfielder, and then a Morales would make sense. You put Morales at first base, and that changes that lineup. But now with the injury to... To, Joe, to Jay Bruce, uh, that it, it's further complicated by the fact that you, you don't know when he's coming back, if he's going to come back at all. If he comes back, is he going to be productive? So I know teams don't like to make those kinds of defensive changes, but Joey Votto is a great athlete. He was a catcher at one time. He played the outfield before. Uh, we've talked about this for a number of years. I don't know what else you do to shake things up on that team except start moving guys around on your roster, changing the lineup, putting guys in positions where they can, they can uh, you know, play productively and maybe even putting a, you know, Pena played in the outfield at one time, too, for Detroit. The guy's got good speed for a catcher. And there's, there's a lot of things you can do internally, but, you know, baseball general managers and managers are very conservative. They don't like to make moves like I'm talking about, but you got to do something because the Reds are not in the top. They're not in the top ten in any offensive statistic. What about? And again, here goes my creative thinking: moving Vado to left when Mesoraco comes off the DL, put him at first, keep Pena at catcher, and then just rotate Mesoraco and Pena between first and catcher to keep them fresh. I think it's a great idea, frankly. I mean, I, I like that idea because Pena, I mean, I don't know if you've been seeing him or not. Man, the guy is ripping the ball. And mm-hmm. he's he's got a great swing, and I think he can really help the Reds uh, offensively. And you're right, he could play first base. And then you could put, uh, you know, Ludwig uh, in right field and, until Jay Bruce comes back. And then you get Billy Hamilton that you could, you know, put him in where you need to put him in. But, the, you know, it's funny, uh, as much complaint – as Billy Hamilton has been getting, because he's only hitting, you know, 245, which is, I, I think, pretty good. 
but people have been complaining about his strikeouts. He struck out 19 times so far. Uh, I think he's he has a real positive impact on this lineup. And uh, so if he's going to be your center fielder, the idea of having Masaraco and Pena in the lineup at the same time can only be accomplished if you move Joey Votto to left field. And like you said, we've been talking about that for two years, putting him in left field. And I, I think it's a it's a fairly doable situation. Matter of fact, if you recall, what was it, about 40 years ago, Mark? 50 years? No, it wasn't 50 years ago, but about 35, 40 years ago, another Reds manager made a big defensive change when he moved Pete Rose from left to third. And they ended up winning the World Series on it. Yeah, you know who he put in left field? George Foster. That's right. And that did make a huge... I mean, it, it changed that entire team. And he did it in 1975, and the Reds went on to win 51 or 41 out of 50 games after he did that. Uh, so, yeah, things like that. Number one, you need a player who's willing to do it, enthusiastically do it. Uh, you don't want to hurt yourself defensively, which I don't think they would. Votto's got good speed. And uh, for a first baseman particularly, but he certainly is capable as an outfielder. But then you have the other interesting thing is uh, they're catching with, with Tucker Barnhart. The Reds catching this year uh, together between Devin Messerocco and Pena and Tucker Barnhart have seven home runs. They've got 22 RBIs, and they're hitting about 375 collectively. So the it's very strange that the catching has been the the strong point of this offensive uh, team. But I, I want to spend a minute or so talking about something that very, that concerns me a great deal, and, and that's Joey Votto. Joey Votto was given a quarter of a billion dollar contract. Now that, that's almost unbelievable. A ten year contract. This is the first year of the ten year contract. It was an extension, and he's hitting two seventy five. He has 10, home, uh, 10 RBIs. He's not had a home run in seven weeks. He, he hit he, he's hit four. And his, his numbers are not even close to what you would expect for that kind of investment. Now, part of it is the fact, like the Seattle Mariners with Cano, they have not gone out and gotten that, that hitter to back Joey Votto up. But are you as concerned as me? Is you invest a quarter of a billion dollars into a guy that last year had a an average at best season? I mean, he had a good year. I'm not saying that, but certainly not superstar numbers. And this year, it looks like more of the same. Do you think I'm being uh, oversensitive to the slack of production? No, I don't think you're being oversensitive. The thing that I find rather weird about the entire thing is that both the Reds and Indians' highest-priced players in Votto and Swisher are hitting number two. Yeah. But is that a function of uh, their abilities or their skill sets as it is to the rest of the people around them? I mean, No, I think, I, I believe what it is, Mark, and this kind of leads into our Ask Us segment, I think it's the inability of the front office to build a team around them. That's well, what I think. I, I, you're looking at two organizations here, Mark, in Cleveland and Cincinnati, that are diametrically different, but so similar 
it is ridiculous. Walt Jockety is as conservative and maybe one of the oldest GMs in baseball. And he is doing the same thing that the Indians are doing. And that is nothing. They're not doing anything to help this ball club out. And if they don't do anything come July, and these two teams are still fuddling around, staying around, staying in the in the race, but not ready to really overtake anybody, you're going to see what happened here when Manny Acta was the manager of the Indians three years ago, and it got to July, and they were seven games out of first place, and the front office did nothing. You're going to see a rebellion by this team. You're going to see a rebellion by the Reds. I, I really firmly believe that, that they are fed up with Walt Jockety. They are fed up with Chris Antonetti, and that these two GMs are sitting back and doing nothing to show the players on the field they want to win now. Yeah, it's it's kind of befuddling to me, um, and we don't know the directions that uh, Jockety is getting from Castellini. We don't know that. We never will know that. But when you have a team like the Reds that I think – uh, player for player, I, I think they're frankly much stronger than the Indians right now, uh, top to bottom, and they're stronger than a lot of teams. And they're only a player away, or at, at the most, two players away. And I, I'm not talking about getting Matt Kemp or Puig or somebody like that. I'm talking about just going out and getting a guy hit 275, 285. Those guys are out there. Why, why don't they do it? What, what don't we know? about this organization that makes you keep Chris Heisey forever. He has never stepped up and performed like he should. You have Todd Frazier. Yeah, game-winning hit yesterday. But my bet is that Todd Frazier is going to hit about 245, 250 this year. You have Zach Cozart, who will be lucky to hit 225 this year. What do we see or don't see? And then Ryan Ludwig. Uh, he's hitting 273. He, he, he's a you know a decent player, but certainly not somebody to back up Joey Votto. It, it, it's just mind numbing to me that these general managers, as you said, Antonetti says, well we're we're going to wait until July 31st. Mr. Antonetti, you could be 14 games behind by July 31st. Have you given that any thought? When you have a pitching staff that can keep you in the race. If you can bring in a couple hitters to back up what you have on the mound, I, I, I'm befuddled by it, and I I just have to think that they know something we don't know. Well, it's time for our Ask Us segment. We've got several questions coming in tonight, Mark. Of course, you could join us on our Ask Us segment simply by emailing us to Ask Us or Dmitch at UltimateSportsTalk.com. Reds fan number five asks Mark. When is Matt Latos returning? Uh, yesterday they announced that he had, he had completed his first round of long toss, which means he's throwing between 150 and 200 feet. And what that does, for those of you who don't know long toss, it's when a pitcher goes to the outfield and throws from flat ground. And for you young players, if you want to strengthen your arm, that's how you do it. You throw basically as far as you can throw, but you throw it 
almost like a fly ball. You throw it, and you get full extension. You bend over. You stretch your arm out. And what that does, it makes you stretch out your arm muscles. It builds arm strength. You don't build arm strength by throwing hard off a mound. You, that's how you hurt yourself. So they'll make him go out there and throw 150 to 200 feet. They start maybe at 25 feet and work their way up. But that's the way you build arm strength. And that's where Matt Latos is now. The next step is for him to come and throw off the mound, and then they'll work into throwing live BP. If that works out well, he'll then go to a rehab start, and they think that he is going to be back sometime in June. Okay, and from what I understand, Araldus Chapman is ready to make a return on Friday? That's what they say, and they say he was throwing hard, his breaking ball was good, he's got no psychological issues apparently, uh, and we won't know that until somebody sculls one back through the box, and, and, if he, and if he flinches and falls on his butt rather than catch the ball, you know you got a problem. But not many guys are going to hit the ball hard off Chapman in any case. Yeah, that's true. Tribe 14 asks us tonight, and this made a lot of news over the weekend in Cleveland, Nick Swisher making a comment, to on bad media coverage on Friday, and they were asking, is Swisher, is the pressure, Tribe Fan 14 asks, is the pressure starting to get to Nick Swisher? Well, Swisher's comment, Mark, was, we kind of got off to a rough start. There have been a lot of bad things written about this team in the papers. We do pay attention to all that stuff, but we're starting to turn it around. Frankly, I didn't see anything wrong with what Swisher said in that, but the Cleveland media, being that they think they're the mini New York, they thought that this was the absolute worst thing in the world that Nick Swisher could say. Frankly, I didn't see anything wrong with it. I don't either. <laughs> I don't know why they would uh, pick on something like that. Um, but thats I don't know if there's a difference yeah. between the Reds press and the Indians press, but that seems like a, a rather benign thing to say. Well, and and to be honest about Nick Swisher, in the last ten ball games, he's been hitting the heck out of the baseball. Now, what bothers me about Nick Swisher is his defense at first base. That seems to have fallen off the deep end. But then again, I can't get upset at just Nick Swisher. Like I said, there were 30 errors committed in the month of April. They've got to shore up this defense if they think they've got any chance of making the playoffs. Mark Triple Threat, I love some of these names asks us tonight, should we be worried about Devin Mesoraco being injured a lot? Well, you have to put these injuries in perspective. I mean, a pulled hamstring can happen to anybody, and a catcher, uh, they're, they're particularly prone to it because of the up and down. And don't forget, I think part of this was that he, he had a minor injury at the beginning of spring training. He's probably not in as good a shape as he, as he normally would be. I think it's too early to draw that conclusion from from you know a year or two that he's been up with the big club, so I would say no now. Now, if if this goes on indefinitely in the future, then of course we we need to be concerned about it. But uh, I think it's too early to draw that conclusion now. Well, you know, and the hamstring, Michael Bourne has been suffering from the hamstring injury that he underwent a year ago. Mark, he he went through surgery on it. In November, came to spring training, of course. Then you remember he was out for three weeks, missed the first four games of the regular season. Well, this past Friday night, he pulled it again. And he may not be playing for the next couple of games. It depends on 
on how he feels heading into tonight's game. But those hamstring injuries, like you said, especially for a catcher, let alone an outfielder, are is something that you don't want to mess around with because they can linger and linger forever. By the way, David, I, I wanted to comment on the fact of, of the Indians fielding and the impact that it has on a team. Uh, by comparison, the Reds are the number one team in defense, in baseball. And you said the Indians have committed 30 errors. The Reds have 12. And four of them are by Todd Frazier. And three of them are by Joey Votto. <laughs> so, wow. So they, they were getting terrific uh, defense up the middle. Not surprisingly, Brandon Phillips has only one error. Zach Cozart has only one error. Uh, so it's right now defense and pitching are carrying the Reds. Becky Loves Tribe asks tonight, when will Jason Giambi be released? We can't continue to hold on to a 44-year-old DH. Well, Giambi was in the lineup on Friday night and had to leave because of a calf injury, but he supposedly was able to be a pinch hitter in yesterday's game if the Indians did indeed need him. Now, Mark, I love what Giambi brings to this team. I know if he was a coach, it wouldn't be the same as what he brings to this team as a player. I think the only way, and I was watching the game the other night with some friends of mine, and I made the comment that I think the only way Jason Giambi is going to save his job past July is to come out and say this is the end of his career. This will be his last season. Then I think Terry Francona will not go to the front office and say, hey, we got to let him go. But if Giambi wants to play past this year, I think it's time that the Indians cut ties with this guy. David, I would go further than that. What did he hit last year, 190 or something like that? 190 yeah. with nine home runs. Yeah. Uh, how you can have a guy like that in your lineup if you're serious about contending, other than the subjective value of his attitude, whatever that be, is. And I, I think that is – I've played on enough teams to know that is so overrated uh, that, yeah, it's nice to have that. But if I had a choice between a guy hitting 190, who was a rah-rah guy, and a guy hitting 320, who was a jerk, I'll take the jerk. And I think any, any manager would. Cleveland has a chance to compete in that division – and to have a 44-year-old DH. Now, a DH in the American League, in on most teams, that is a vital part of your offensive uh, prowess as a team. I know he's not a full-time DH, but if that's what you're going to use him for, my God, there's a lot of guys out there that could hit better than 190. I, I don't understand it. I like Giambi, despite what he did with, with the, the PEDs. He came out and was a man about it, admitted it, and went on. And so I don't hold that against him at all. But he's 44, and he hit 190 at 43. Do the math. Yeah, and like I said, I know Francona loves what he brings to this team. They love having him around. My guess is he'll be gone by July, unless he comes out and says, this is my last season. Now, also, I wanted to add, I, I we haven't even brought it up tonight. Jason Kipnis right now is on the 15-day DL for the Indians with an oblique strain. And you and I both know we've had players on each team, Masterson and Cueto from a year ago, that have had these oblique strains, Mark, and they could linger on just like a hamstring. 
Yeah, and that's uh, th that's a scary part about that. Uh, those things don't go away, and they'll go away quickly anyway. And um, again, w when you're talking about these position players, and what we're saying about both teams is their pitching is in good shape. I think you look at the, the Indians and the Reds, uh, those pitching staffs, top to bottom, are, are very strong. <clears throat> what they lack is that diversity off the bench and the consistent offensive power uh, in the everyday lineup. And unless they fix that, they're not going to win. But that's what's so frustrating about both teams is that they can win. They have, a good enough, uh, they have good enough players to win. J.J. Blooper, which I think has got to be something with, uh, to go along with J.J. Hoover, but we won't get into that, asks us tonight, is there any chance the Reds might go after Alex Gonzalez in the light of Zach Cozart's struggles? Well, we said, you know, Cozart's been hitting in the last seven ball games, but he could go back to being the, the pre-seven game Zach Cozart very quickly. Do you think there's any thoughts about bringing in Alex Gonzalez at all? Oh, there might be, but again, um, I'm not sure that's going to solve a lot of problems for the Reds. Gonzalez is not going to come in and be a number three, four, or five hitter. Uh, I think he'd be an effective seventh or eighth hitter. Uh, he gives you a lot of defensive uh, support. But why didn't the Reds, if he was valuable now, what, why wasn't he valuable in the offseason? He could have been had, and they didn't go after him. So maybe, again, they know something we don't know. But the if the Reds rely on their on their pitching, uh, it's frustrating when you see Johnny Cueto go out there and put up the kind of numbers he's putting up. Uh, he should be 5-0 and uh, or, or 6-0. I mean, he's, he's, he's had seven starts, and he could have won all seven. But he's 3-2, and two, and he's already, what scares me is he's already pitched 55 innings. And that's great. He's strong. I'm, I'm glad he's doing it. But had the Reds scored some runs for him, he, he, he could have pitched 10, 12 innings less which would be very helpful in September <laughs> when he's piling up, you know, 250, 260 innings and he's out of gas then into the playoffs. Web Splitter asks us tonight, and this is our final Ask Us question for this evening, but Web Splitter asks us, the Reds designated outfielder Roger Bernardina, Roger Bernardina for assignment. Mark, is there that much difference between Schumacher and Bernardina? Oh, I think there is. I, I think Bernardina is, is really an enigma. Two years ago, when this guy was with the Nationals, he, he was, a, he was a, a superstar in the making. I mean, he had speed, he had power, he has a good arm, he's good at defense. I don't know what's happened to the guy, uh, but he has fallen off a cliff in terms of his production. And something that is one of those things, you, you can't understand it when you look at the guy. He looks like a, you know, an Adonis. Uh, he's, he's really put together. He's got speed, all the talent in the world, you'd think, but he can't hit. Uh, Schumacher was 0 for 5 yesterday, struck out in a key spot, but I think he's a guy who, who can hit 275, 280, hit 8 or 10 home runs, drive in 45, 50 runs the rest of the year, and, and be a real asset, but not as a starter. If you're relying on Skip Schumacher to be one of your guys, you know, you're one of your go-to offensive guys, then you've got some problems. And right now, I'm afraid that's what it's going to be, with Jay Bruce going down. Well, that's going to do it for our Ask Us segment tonight. Don't forget you can send in your questions via email to askus or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com, or you can send us a tweet 
at OHBB co-host or at Alt Sports Talk. Mark, I want to throw this question out to you. Let's say you're a betting man. I've given you $100,000. You can put $100,000 down on which team will make a move first, Chris Antonetti and the Indians or Walt Jockety and the Reds. Who do you bet on? Uh, I, I think the Reds will. I, I think you bring up a very, very good point with regard to Walt Jockety. Uh, with, the, with the roster they have and now the injury to Bruce, he's backed himself into a corner. He's got to make a move. And if he doesn't, I think you're right. I think the fans down here are going to start screaming bloody murder. And you can't have the investment the Reds have with that payroll they have and not go out and get the finishing pieces. So I, I would put the hundred grand on the Reds. How about you? I, I would say that it would be jockety, even though I don't expect either one of them to do anything. I, I really don't think Jockety's going to make a move, and I would bet my bottom dollar Antonetti is not going to make a move either, at least after a hitter. Now they may go out and get a make a minor deal where they pick up a a backup catcher or another relief pitcher or something like that. But a move that is actually going to shape the next three or four months for either ball club, I don't think either general manager has got it in them. Well, they may not have it in them, but I, I noticed with interest that uh, Bob Castellini was in that. Uh, he went to that Brave series where the Reds just got shut down by good pitching there. And I can't believe that with the money he has invested in the checks he writes every two weeks, that he's going to let that occur. And if, again, we don't know, is it Jockety not pursuing opportunities, or is he pursuing opportunities, but, but Castellini is not approving them? We don't know that. So to blame Castellini, absent knowing what's happening behind the, you know, the green door, uh, is not fair, but the Reds, number one, they have a team that can win. Nobody in the Central Division of the National League is going to run away with that division, and Milwaukee tried, but you know they have a tough schedule coming up too. And I think it's going to be a dogfight all year. And when you look at the Reds pitching and their defense, their speed, uh, the only thing they lack is a bat or two. And frankly, I'm not sure I can say that about the Indians. The Indians have more weaknesses than the Reds, which leads me to believe they're going to have a tougher time winning. So the argument could be, well, look, if we go out and invest a lot of money into a couple of free agents or we, we trade some people, we may not win anyway. That could be the Indians' argument. I don't think that argument holds up with the Reds. The Reds can win that division. Mark, changing pace right here just for a couple of minutes as we wind down tonight's show. What is your opinion on defensive shifts? I saw a, a report yesterday on the Major League Baseball Network with Brian Kenny on defensive shifts. And, and once you give your opinion, I've got some interesting numbers here for you on that. Well, my, my opinion is they work because most of the hitters are too stupid to bunt down the third base line. <laughs> and, and, and like Jay Bruce, how, what kind of brain do you have that you allow the defense to put an extra player on the right side and you hit into it. Why not just bunt every time up? 
go five for five and become a base runner and let somebody else drive you in. But no, they don't do that. They hit into it. So given the stupidity of that approach, uh, I would say they're pretty effective. Well, here's some interesting numbers for you. First of all, in 2011, the number of shifts used in regular season games were just over 2,300 for the entire season. In 2013, the number of shifts for the entire season was just over 8,100. So far, in 2014, this season, the defensive switches that have been used so far, Major League Baseball is on pace to go over 12,000 shifts for the entire season. Now, what that also means is that the total number of singles, just base hits, singles, is the lowest in April since the DH entered the game in 1973. Do you think it's entirely due to the shifts being played, Mark? Absolutely. That's why I said, you asked me about the shifts. The reason they're shifting is they work. If you read Ted Williams' book, the first shift ever employed was by the Cleveland Indians against Ted Williams back in the 1940s. And Ted Williams and other people have, have surmised, he had a 344 lifetime batting average, that the shifts took away enough hits to impact his lifetime batting average by 12 to 14 points. And he, he, he admitted, this is Ted Williams, in my opinion, the greatest hitter of all time. He said, at first, he was defiant about it, and he said, to hell with him, I'm just going to swing harder and I'll drive it through anyway. Well, you don't. And as long as the pitchers pitch you inside and you keep cranking, you know, going down the right field line, you're, you're go on the right side of the infield, you're going to make more outs. It was only later in his career, and if you remember, he had 390 when he was 39 years old, when he, he started to go to left field. And in, in the last four or five years of his, of his career, and he would even slap the ball down the third base line and, and jog to first base and have a base hit. The hitters today don't do that. And I, I shake my head with Joey Votto and Jay Bruce that they face the shift more than anybody on the Reds team, and they refuse to bunt. Now, what are the Indians? Are they facing the shift with some other players? Well, yeah, definitely, especially Carlos Santana. And it's interesting that you bring that up because Rick Manning, who's the Indians color analyst on Fox, Fox Sports Sports Time Ohio, whom won a broadcasting award, but I think is one of the dumbest announcers in baseball. Anyway, he got upset at Carlos Santana uh, during a game last week when the shift was put on when he dropped a bunt down the third baseline for a base hit with two outs in the fourth inning. And he said, this was his comment, if Santana's going to do that, he better be prepared to steal second. That was his analogy of him dropping a bunt down against that shift. Well, you said yourself that he was one of the dumbest announcers you've ever heard. And I think that's, that's the problem, that the hitters, unlike Joey Votto, uh, most of the time, they're embarrassed to bunt because they say, well, I, that means they've won. The defense has won because they mm -hmm. uh, changed the, you know, the, the look against me. So what? 
The idea is to get on base and not make outs. And what, what the other day, the Reds had runners at second and third with only one out, and I think Jay Bruce was up. They put the shift on. Are you kidding me? How could you be so stupid not to bump down the third base line and drive in a run? It, it's happened. It's happened 20 times this year, where you have a, a runner at third base with less than two out, and Bruce or uh, uh, Votto up, and they don't bunt. It would be a guaranteed run. And they Mark, let me ask you this question. Have they run that shift against the Reds with Billy Hamilton at third base? Have they run that shift? Yes, and it's not, not as severe. It's a good point, because he'll steal home. On right. Because he can get a huge lead on the third baseman. So he, that's mitigated when Hamilton is at third base. But, frankly, he's not been at third base all that often this year. <laughs> no. So, uh, but, but no matter who's at third base, whether it's Billy Hamilton or a catcher, you give him a, you know, a 30-foot lead off the bag, they're going to score on any kind of butt down the third base line. Well, we've got one minute to go on the show. I don't want to get into this, but I do want to throw one more stat out to you. The stats also for this season, Mark, are showing that one-third of all strikeouts this year in every game are happening in the last three innings. I want to get into that down the road. That, that was another interesting stat that they brought up. Mark, what do the Reds have going this week? Well, they have, uh, let me see, coming up Boston, uh, and then they're back home, I think think, uh, with Milwaukee. Or Colorado. I'm sorry, Colorado. You're right, with Colorado. And uh, this two and two with Boston, I don't get, but uh, <laughs> that's what they got this year with Boston. How about the Indians? Well, my my son and daughter-in-law went up to see the Indians play the other night, and the guy behind him said that the Cincinnati Red Sox were going to be playing Boston this week. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, the the Indians have Minnesota over the next four days. And then they go to Tampa Bay for a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday afternoon encounter. So that's going to do it. Mark, we'll be back next Monday night. Good night, David. Thanks a lot, Mark. Don't forget our Ultimate Sports Talk show coming up this Thursday night, where Greg Mitchell and I will be on at 7 o'clock with our mock NFL draft just before the NFL draft at 8 o'clock. And Mark Donahue and I will be back next Monday night with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Until then, our thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Good night, everybody.